Hey friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast, where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. I can hardly believe that we are at the end of August already. 2022 is flying by. Kids are back in school or close to going back to school. You know, fall is in the air and we all know this because there is pumpkin everything hitting the stores. And, you know, as we close out this month, we want to share a very special episode with you. We are going to be sharing a message from my late husband, Jeff Davidson, that he preached eight years ago, literally almost to the day, called When God is Silent and My Life is in Turmoil. And, you know, I know we have all had times in our lives when we're going through hard and challenging times and it feels like God is not even listening, that He doesn't even care. But Jeff reminds us in this message of some beautiful truths that we need to remember when we are in those hard and challenging seasons. You know, Jeff was such a great storyteller and an encouraging speaker, and I really hope that this message speaks to your heart. Hey, glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, For those of you who may be uh, guests with us this morning, uh, our regular lead pastor, uh, Steve Chapman, is not with us this morning, and there's a good reason for that. We've we've tried to keep it a little secret because, you know, we we don't like to share his personal business. But uh, Steve, apparently, uh, has had a lifelong desire, a lifelong passion uh, to be in Star Wars. And so when he heard they were remaking Star Wars in Hollywood, uh, Steve wanted to try out for the part of Darth Vader. And uh, so he and the family are traveling this weekend. And, uh, and not, not really out there, but uh, they are traveling. And, uh, and I'm glad to be here because I don't get uh, to be a guest here myself at this campus much. Uh, I'm doing a lot of traveling myself lately. And uh, so it's good to be here. One of the places that that I seem to be going a lot lately is about once a month. Uh, I find myself in Atlanta these days doing ministry events with our organization. And uh, Atlanta is an interesting trip for us. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know and haven't looked at my shoes yet, I, I have deformed feet. And so uh, I have difficulty uh, driving long distances. So whenever I travel, someone has to, to do the driving for me. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to uh, speak at a leadership event at a church called Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in the Atlanta area. And uh, Johnson Ferry is one of the largest churches in the country. Uh, The building is just incredible, takes up several city blocks. But I've never been there before. So my my wife was doing the driving. Now my wife is a highly skilled multitasking phenomenon. You have to be if you're the mother of a child with special needs. She can do so many things at once, multitask. She's driving, thinking about what we're going to say, you know, all these things going through her mind, our son back home, we got all that going on. I have one job when we travel, just one thing I'm supposed to do. And that's because I can only think of one thing at a time. So my wife says, okay, I'll drive us there. I'll navigate the traffic. I'll figure out if the exit's to the right, the left, the center, whatever. All you have to do is get us there. All you have to do is navigate. I can do that. That's all you need me to do. Just one thing. Find out directions where we're going. Find out how to get there. So I'm a high-tech guy, right? I grab my iPhone. I pull it out. We're in the car. We're buckled up. We're driving. 
I pull out Siri. Now, those of you that have Siri on your iPhone, I have a love-hate relationship with Siri. I love her and she hates me. Something I did about six months ago, I'm not really sure what, I disrespected her or something, but sometimes she just doesn't talk to me. And sometimes she likes to play games with me. So I punched the little button and I said, Siri, Johnson Ferry Road, Atlanta, Georgia. Boom, here you go. Here's how to get there. I'll talk you through it, Jeff. So we're driving, we're getting close to Atlanta. And keep in mind, this particular church is in an area of Atlanta called Marietta. I go to Marietta several times a year. I've done events all over Marietta. I know Marietta. I know every restaurant at the exits in Marietta. We go right past Marietta. I'm looking down at Syria. I'm like, something's just not right here. I mean, we're, we're, we're way far. Check my time. We're still okay on time. I'm supposed to be there at one. We're okay. I always like to arrive a few minutes early. But something's not right. But I got to trust Siri. She knows what she's doing. Apple Maps could not be wrong, could it? It could. Finally, we're in downtown Atlanta. And something just doesn't look right. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not where I want to go. This is not the path I would have chosen. And all of a sudden, Siri says, hey, you've reached your destination. And I look around. We are in the middle of nowhere. I mean nowhere. It looks like a war zone. And Siri's, there's where you are. And I'm like, this, this church is supposed to be big. I could, I'd be able to see it if it were in nearby. This isn't it. Something's got to be wrong. My wife says very kindly, probably gave her a little too much grace there. Are you sure you put the right directions in? Yes, I told it. Johnson Ferry Road, Atlanta. Did you say Johnson's Ferry Road, Marietta? No, Marietta's part of Atlanta. Why don't you put in Johnson Ferry Road, Marietta and see what happens? So I put in Johnson Ferry Road, Marietta. Apple Maps says, well, why didn't you say so? Yeah, you're lost. (laughs) You're like 30 minutes from where you're supposed to be, dude. So we call the church. Now, their entire staff, children's ministry, women's ministry, they're all in this room waiting for me. I'm 30 minutes from the place. Well, we tell them what's going on. We, we frantically follow Apple Maps this time. This time, it's even worse. Siri goes, all right, now you've reached your destination. And I look around, and we're in a war zone 25 minutes further out of the way than we were the first time. We are nowhere near where we want to be. That's when I switched to Google Maps. And Google Maps, when I pushed the button, said, you should have used me all along, you idiot. That's, you're, you're, you, you just don't know what you're doing. We arrived 48 minutes late for my speaking engagement. We literally felt like we had been placed in the absolute middle of nowhere. Now, why is this guy telling us how stupid he is when it comes to navigating? Because I bet you in your life, and many of you probably right now, I bet you feel like God has dropped you off in the middle of nowhere. 
You had plans, you had goals, you had dreams, you had places you wanted to go, you had things in your life that were supposed to happen, and you were following God, and all of a sudden you realize God has dropped you off in the absolute middle of nowhere. And God is not to be found. And there's nothing you can do to hear from God. And you try praying and praying, but your prayers are just bouncing back off the clouds. And you try fasting and you try reading your Bible. And then you, you find a friend and he goes, you're just not spending enough time in the word. You smack that guy, but it still doesn't do you any good. Nothing is happening. You feel so far from God, like God is nowhere to be found. You're down at Kroger's looking for God's picture on the back of milk cartons. Where is God? Why is God silent? Why won't God answer me? Why won't God help me? Where is he? And the answers never come. Because you feel like you are absolutely in the middle of nowhere. And you, you, can't, you can't find your way out. You start calling up friends you went to kindergarten with and saying, I'm sorry for that Oreo I stole during share time. Will you forgive me? You're, you're, you're down at Walmart just asking strangers, have I offended you in traffic? If so, please forgive me. You're trying to cleanse yourself of everything you can, but nothing is working and God is not to be found. And you don't understand what's going on in your life. You feel nothing. And when that happens... When that happens, you start blaming yourself. I do. I start thinking, I must have done something. I must have offended God. God, I must be guilty of something. I must have some hidden sin. I'm just not reading. I'm not praying. What am I doing? What am I doing? And I want you to understand this morning that there are times in your life where God is going to seem like he's missing in action. There will be seasons in your life, and some of you probably in one right now, there are seasons in your life when you're going to feel like God is nowhere to be found. And your faith, your faith is just barely holding on, if it is at all. Because you feel like God has dropped you in the middle of nowhere. And I want you to realize something else. It's not you. Sometimes it could be you. Sometimes it could be something in your life. But sometimes it may just be, it may just be that God is hiding his face. Because God needs to teach you something through his silence. And I want you to realize that there are super Christians. There are people of enormous faith who've experienced the exact same thing you have. Listen to this. Tell me if you can't relate to this. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. No one on whom I can cling. No one. I am all alone. Where is my faith? Even deep down right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness my God, how painful is this pain? I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart and make me suffer untold. So many unanswered questions live within me. I'm afraid to uncover them. If there be a God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of the darkness and the coldness and the emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. I felt that before. Anybody else felt that before?
You know who wrote that? Mother Teresa. It happens to everyone. In fact, if you read your Old Testament and you look at the lives of the prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah and you look at people like Job and David, you will find that every great man and woman of God, every great man and woman that God has used greatly has gone through seasons of their life where they feel like God wounded them deeply. Every one of them. Listen to Job. Job was considered a man who wouldn't drop his water bottle off the table. Job was considered a man of high integrity. And listen to what Job says. Job laments one day, If only I knew where to find God. I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him. So I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. Job asked the same questions you and I do. Where is God? Where is God when I need him the most? I get that. When I first went into ministry, two years into ministry, two years into ministry, and I thought I was on top of the world. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I understood what God was going to do with my life. The next thing I know, I'm in a coma. I've got a 5% chance of living, and if I do make it back, I'm going to be on oxygen the rest of my life. I went into respiratory arrest right on a table in the hospital. I spent the next year in a wheelchair trying to learn to walk again, take care of myself again, function again. And the whole time I'm praying to God and I'm asking God, why is this happening? What's going on? Where are you? How could you possibly be letting me go through this? And that entire season, God was silent. God never spoke. God was missing in action. And finally, one night, after many, many months of that struggle, one night, after all those months, God finally revealed his presence to me and simply said, I'm here. God never abandoned me during that time. God turned his face for me because I had some things I needed to learn. I had some things I needed to let go. I needed to let go of pride. I needed to let go of arrogance. I need to come to realize that I can't do all this on myself. I can't depend upon myself. I had to come to the point where I realized that it's either God or nothing. It's not me. And the only way that I could learn those things, the only way was to go through that desert. And sometimes God will put us in the desert Because it's the only way that he can teach us. I want to share a story with you today. How many of you have heard of David before in the Old Testament? King David. Most of you, let me refresh your memory for those who haven't. When David was 16 years old, 16, God sends a prophet to David and says, you're going to be the king of Israel. And he anoints David with oil and proclaims, you will be the king of Israel. Can you imagine being 16 years old and being told you're going to be the king of the most powerful country in the world? Imagine that at 16. Imagine that at 46. 
And so David is told, you're going to be the king. You're God's chosen one. You're God's favored one. God's spirit is upon you. Wouldn't you expect things to start happening? Wouldn't you expect, bam, 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 God's going to start ordering things, lining up things? Do you know what happens for the next 10 or 12 years? Nothing. I mean, there's that one great moment. We can't forget that whole David and Goliath thing. You know, if they'd had the internet back then, it would have crashed when David killed Goliath. I mean, shepherd boy would be trending on Twitter, hashtag giant crushed. It would have been phenomenal. There would be memes all over Facebook of David and Goliath. But that was like 10 years ago. And where's David now in his upper 20s? David is on the run for his life. See, there's a guy named Saul. And Saul's the king. And David can't figure out why because God told David, you're going to be the king. But David's like you and me. He doesn't want to wait. He doesn't understand God's timing. Even if he does understand it, he doesn't agree with it. David wants to be king now, but the problem is the job's already filled. And they're not taking applications. So Saul's the king. And David is on the run for his life. Saul's living in the palace. You know where David's living? In a cave. At night, Saul's having ten course meals by candlelight. David's trying to decide whether to have bat stew or barbecued rat. I mean, things are not going like he felt. God has put him in the middle of nowhere. And so David finds himself in Psalm 13. We're going to put this on the board. David finds himself at this point in Psalm 13. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Can you hear the anguish in David's voice? God, where are you? God, why have you abandoned me? Why am I going through this? Where are you, God? See, David's got three issues going on here. The very same, very identical three issues that you and I will face at some time in our life. Maybe you already have, maybe you are right now. Here's the three things. Number one, God seemed so very distant from David. God seemed so very distant from David. It was like God had dropped David in and just left, left him all to himself to figure it out. He remembered that God had plans for him. He remembered God had made promises. You're going to be the king, but nothing was happening. I know there's times in your lives where you sit there going, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why nothing's happening in my life. I'm trying. I'm trying to do all the right things, but nothing's working the way I want it to. Nothing's working out for me. And that's David's second problem. Number two, David's whole life was in turmoil. David's whole life was a mess. In the original Hebrew, those verses talk about sorrow after sorrow after sorrow piling up on him. 
In other words, he'd make plans at night, and the next day, nothing worked. It was bad news after bad news after bad news. Have you ever had that in your life where just you're afraid to turn around because it's just one bad thing after another? Remember the old song, gloom, despair, and agony on me? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Everywhere he turned, nothing was working. And not only was nothing working, but number three, David's enemies were winning. Saul was winning. Everything David put his hands to was falling apart. And the people who were furthest from God, they were winning. Now you've been there, haven't you, in your own life? You look around, you look at people who aren't living God's way, not trying to follow God, don't have a relationship with Jesus, and they're doing fine, they're doing great. Everything in their life is just wonderful, and you're trying to do the right thing, and your life's falling apart. And we get mad. We forget that it rains on the just and the unjust. So God seemed distant. David's life was a mess. And his enemies were winning. But the weirdest thing happens. The very weirdest thing happens in those same verses in Psalm 13. Right after verses 1 and 4, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, David says this. But I trust in your unfailing love. I rejoice because you have rescued me. I sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And Job, what about Job? We read from Job earlier. Right after Job's lament, Job does the same thing. Job turns around verse 10. He says, in referring to God, but he knows where I'm going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but treasured his words more than daily food. What do these guys know that makes them able to rise above their laments, to rise above those feelings of frustration at God? What do they have that we don't? Because David goes on in later Psalms and David says things like, God is my ever-present help in my time of need. In Psalm 139, David says this, he goes, where can I go to flee from your presence, God? If I go to the top of the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed at the bottom of the sea, you're there. If I get up on the wings of the dawn and I go to the far, far side of the sea, even there your right hand will find me and hold me fast. He says, God, if I try to hide in the darkness, you'll turn the night into day. For the darkness is of light to you. There is nowhere I can go to flee from your spirit. Why is David able to say that after going through these long droughts where God is silent and missing in action? Why can he do that? Because David and Job understand something that you and I need to learn this morning. David and Job both understand one simple thing. God has his own GPS. It's called God's positioning system. As long as you rely on global positioning systems, they will let you down. They'll put you in the middle of nowhere. But God's positioning system means this. God's positioning system means even when you think you're lost, even when you think you're in the middle of nowhere, even when you think God is silent, even when you think God has turned his back on you, God has you right where God wants you the whole time. God's positioning system always puts you 
right where you're supposed to be. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to take these six takeaways home with you. These six things. Don't panic. We're going to go through these lightning fast. Sit down, strap in, buckle up. Here they go. Number one, silence is not absence. God's silence is not his absence. When David thought God had dropped him off and turned his back and left him, God was there. Don't ever confuse God's silence for his absence. Number two, God's silence leads to trust. God's silence forces you to trust God because you don't have any other choice. God's silence forces you to trust that your prayers are being heard even though you don't feel like it. That God knows your thoughts, knows your heart, knows where you are, knows what you're going through, knows what your struggles are, knows what your pain is. Silence forces you to trust God that he either is who he is or he's not. And he'll either do what he says he will or he won't. It forces you to trust him. Number three. God's silence remind us, reminds us of what God has already done. When God isn't speaking to you, when God is silent in your life, that's your opportunity to stop, to remind yourself of all the times before when God did show up, to remind yourself of all the times in your life when you thought it was over with, when you thought you were done for, when you thought there was no hope, when you thought there was no way out, and God showed up. It's your time to remember, to reflect, and to respond. Number four, God's silence doesn't change his character. Don't confuse God's silence for God changing his mind about you. Silence from God never changes his character. His grace still abounds. His love still overwhelms. His mercies are new every morning. He turns sorrows into joy and mourning into dancing every day of your life if you let him. It doesn't change his character. Isaiah says that God says, when you pass through the waters, you will not drown. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. For I will pass through with you. God's character never changes. Number five. This is my favorite. God's silence forces you to surrender. God's silence forces you to surrender. That's what God had to do in my life. God had to be silent to force me to admit that I needed him, that I was dependent upon him, that I could not do this on my own. Because I'm the type of guy who thinks I can fix anything. In my arrogance, in my pride, you give me a problem, I'll tell you how to fix it. In fact, I have trouble listening to people because I'm like, do you really want me to listen to that? Or do you want me to tell you how to fix that? Because if you do, here's the plan to fix it. And God had to show me, I can't fix, you can't fix yourself, Jeff. I'm the only one that can fix you. And God had to get me to the point where I said, okay, I surrender, I give up. I can't do this without you. Silence forces surrender. And finally, number six, silence doesn't mean that nothing is happening. Silence doesn't mean nothing is happening. God is always moving. God is always positioning. God always has you right where he wants you. You see, you and I have a problem. We tend to focus on where we want to be 
who we want to be, what we'd rather be doing. We tend to focus on all that rather than what God is trying to teach us where we're at right now. Because we'd rather look at where we want to be than where God has us now and why God has us there. We can't stress out when our circumstances can't change. Because God's character will never change. You cling to him even when you don't feel like it. Even when you doubt, you cling. Because sometimes, sometimes hope is all you have. And when hope is all you have, hope's all you need. Hope's all you need. God is going to meet you where your life hurts the most. Did you hear me? God is going to meet you where your life hurts the most. In my own life, the biggest manifestations of God's presence had been in the times when I felt the furthest from God. You see, the moments in your life when you feel the furthest you are from God, the moments when you feel the farthest you've ever been from God, folks, those are the very moments when you are closer to God than you could ever imagine. Those are the moments when you are closest to God in your life. There are times in my life I don't like the story. In fact, there are times in my life I wish I had a DVR and I could just skip ahead through the painful stuff. You know what I mean? Something's happened in my life, a season I'm in that I don't like. I wish I could just fast forward right out of that. Or maybe you're like me and, and maybe, maybe last Tuesday was a great day and you just want to skip back to last Tuesday and relive it again because that was a good day. Life made sense last Tuesday. I'm just going to live last Tuesday. And you're just going to replay that over and over and over. Listen, God writes your story. God produces your story. God directs your story. The story of your life, folks, has nothing to do with you. Did you know that? It's not even about you. God is telling his story through your life. You're just the canvas that he's painting on. And so when you surrender to him and say, this is my life, I'll take what you've given me. I don't understand this. I don't like this. I'm still trying to figure out why you dropped me here in the middle of nowhere. God says, I got you right where I need you. And here's what I want you to learn. Because when you think about it, I want you to think about the Garden of Gethsemane for a minute. I want to take you back to the Garden. Jesus has been betrayed. He's going to be killed. He's going to die. And he's sitting there in the garden. And Jesus is in the most intense pain anyone could imagine. The most intense pain anyone has ever felt. Why was it so intense? Because it was my pain. And it was your pain. And it was my suffering. And it was your suffering. And it was my curse, and it was your curse, and it was my death, and your death, and it was all on his shoulders. And the pain was so deep, but his purpose 
was even deeper. Because in your life, there's going to be times when your pain is so intense and your pain is so deep and you're going to realize that God's purpose is even deeper than your pain. Because that's what Jesus realized in the garden. And in that moment in the garden where it seemed like God had turned his back, where God had abandoned him, where God was so gone, Jesus surrendered. The victory wasn't won until he surrendered. And a lot of people, a lot of people think that the victory was won on the cross. The victory may have been won on the cross, but the battle was won when Jesus surrendered and said, not my will, not my story, God. Your will, your story. That's where clarity came out of the confusion. That's where purpose triumph over pain. That's where the trial became a triumph. The mess became a message. And all of a sudden, we realize as we read the story, when we read that account of the garden, we realize all of a sudden, God was in it all along. God was in it all along. God has a message for you this morning. It's simply this. Your story isn't over. Your story isn't over. I don't know where you are. I don't know what kind of junk you're carrying around. I don't know what baggage you've got that you can't let go of. I don't know what kind of mess your life has been in. I don't know how dry some of you may feel. All I know is this. The story is never over. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.